Today, uh, I want us to understand a little bit of the progression that we're in, in terms of uh, the various books of the Bible as we're walking through and understanding the 66 books, their position, their, uh, their importance, their significance, the revelation behind each one. You know, every verse in the Bible is important, would you agree? And every verse is in every chapter that's important, and the, the chapters are in every book that's important, and the context of where those books are are important. I think as Christians, for us to have a greater understanding and a greater revelation of our call to Scripture and our call to the truth, His written word, really helps us to uh, be more effective at what God's asking of us and what He's wanting to deposit in us in that process of getting us there. So we, we started in this whole thing just to look at Genesis, and that's where we all began, and I'm asking everyone to turn the page, and, and you know, every day turn the page, stay in the Word, great uh, response with all of that. But Genesis, we saw the fall of humanity and God's immediate response of redemption. Immediately, he jumps into action and begins and initiates this plan of redemption. And through the process of Genesis, then we see in the book of Exodus where Jesus is revealed as the lamb in Exodus. And God drew the Israelites out of the bondage of Egypt, and it speaks of our salvation experience. And what was the first thing that happened when the Israelites came out of Egypt? They went through a body of water. Very important that we understand that. And water baptism is a significant part of our spiritual journey for a lot of reasons. But one of the things we see is that which held them captive for generations, perished in the water. And I believe that when we combine our faith, this is more than just mere symbolism. But literally, we are baptized. The word baptized, baptizo, means to dunk. That's what it literally means. And as we go under the water, we're identifying with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And when we come up, we are identifying with the resurrection life of Christ. And we're declaring that that which tries to hold us captive or others captive perishes in the water. And we move into greater places of freedom. Jesus is trying to draw us out of, of bondage, not just to get us out. God wasn't trying to get the Israelites out of Egypt just to get them out. But he's trying to get them out of Egypt so that he could establish them in the word and establish them in principles of worship. And we saw that in the book of Exodus. Uh, that's what they were coming out to do. They said, let us go. Uh, Pharaoh, let my people go so that we might go out and go up and worship. That's the whole concept of, of getting out of Egypt. Then we saw in Leviticus where Jesus was revealed. After he was revealed as a lamb in Exodus, he was revealed as a goat. In Leviticus, and we talked about the boundaries and the Levitical laws, and God never gives us boundaries to diminish us or to keep us from true life. God gives us boundaries so that we might experience true life. And so we brought a lot of focus on that, and today what we want to talk about is Jesus in numbers. And it might surprise you to know in the conclusion of my message, I'll explain this with clarity, but in the book of Numbers, Jesus is revealed as a serpent. So we see him as a lamb in Exodus, a goat in Leviticus, and a serpent in the book of Numbers. But the big idea behind Numbers is a really important idea. I want to take a little bit of time with this today. Because understand, what's happening, God is drawing the people out to establish them that he might take them in to a great place of promise. And I just want to ask you to please hear me today as I say this. The book of Numbers reveals what I believe to be the first and greatest challenge for every believer, and some believers never outgrow what we see in this revelation. Some believers never get this. They live their entire lives and never get past this very important issue. It's revealed in the 
third book of the Bible, in, or in the fourth book of the Bible, as we progress in the Pentateuch, these first, first five books, obviously this is a huge issue because it's what held a lot of them out of going into a greater place of promise. I believe that there are many Christians today that don't get this right, and it keeps them from going into the greater places of God's promise in their life. So let's journey into this. Numbers, the first 10 chapters, is all about numerical data, statistic, uh, statistical information. You try to say it fast. Uh, and so, you know, this is like the book of Numbers is, is following the Israelites on this journey through the desert. And, and literally 38 years, almost 40 years in the desert, that's what the book of Numbers is all about. So we go through these first 10 chapters. As you read this book, you'll see all the statistical and, and numerical information. And then it gets into Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. That's where we're going to pick up. And I have a lot of things that I'm going to blast at you today. You've got your note cards there. I'm going to give you some blanks to fill in. But also, I'm going to work harder at making sure the blog on our destinychristian.com site, uh, you can log in there and get a more in-depth study if you'd like to look into this a little further because these, these types of concepts are fairly elaborate and some components of them are very inspirational and I want to focus in on that that we might you know, drill in and get it. Uh, so I'm going to kind of move ahead and, and you can go and p pick up the blog this week as a part of your devotion time. So Numbers 11.1, 1, now the people complained about their hardships. Numbers chapter 11 verse 1, the people say the word complained. Let's say it one more time. The people complained. Okay, this is this, the book of Numbers. The greater picture of the book of Numbers is all about addressing complaining and negativity in the people of God. This is a huge issue. How many of you right now, you want to complain that I'm talking about complaining? Right? I mean, I, it's funny, but when I address this topic, people leave the church because they're so upset that they are being told not to complain, and they wouldn't be so upset if complaining weren't such a problem. So how about we let God deal with us today, okay? I mean, it's just so funny. It's like, it's where I need the help the most, and it's where I want it the least, but I'm just telling you, this is a huge issue. Not, not for us, but for the church. It's a huge issue. As we go back and we see the progression of the Israelites, this was a huge issue. The whole book centers around it. You'll be amazed, I think, as we progress into this and we see. So the people complained about their hardships. How many of you are having some hardships? Can I just see? You're having some difficult times. Okay, difficult stuff coming your way, whatever it may be. Some people have really hard lives and really great attitudes. Have you noticed that? And other people have really great lives and really hard attitudes. Have you noticed that? And so, I mean, we just have to constantly work at this, address this, and figure out what it is that God's really asking from us. So the big idea, first blank on your card, big idea of numbers is when we are distracted from worship, we are prone to complain. That's a very important statement. When we are distracted from worship, we are prone to complain. Prior to this complaining book, we see the prescription for worship, the revelation of the Ten Commandments and the Word, and, and the, the, the Levites, everybody being positioned to worship. So the Word and worship was given, and the neglect of that led to a place of complaining. That ultimately is telling us when we, are, when we neglect worship, we're prone to, comp to complain. So when we're distracted from worship, we're prone, we're, we're prone to complain. Misappropriation of our resources, as I mentioned earlier. It's easier for the enemy to get you distracted and focused in the wrong direction than it is just to get him off of the right direction. So if he can get us going in another angle. It is easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. 
as we get close to the uh, presidential election, everybody's going to have an opinion. And everybody is going to be an expert. Nobody will have all the information, but everybody feels like they have all the answers, and we talk about it a lot. And so I just want to say right up front, we are not about political agendas as the church. Okay, if you're called into the realm of politics, do it with all your heart. But we are about the political agenda of King Jesus. No president is going to solve the problems of this nation. Only King Jesus is going to solve the problems of this nation. And we're going to lift up the name of Jesus and not divide the church politically in that process. So don't try to make your point all the time. Just keep loving, serving, giving, and let's choose to make a difference. So here we are. We see the first thing the people complained about hardships. Now, this is an interesting verse, Numbers 11.4. I actually learned something when I was reading this, and I saw this. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt, and the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. So this is interesting. First, complaining because of hardships. You'll see this progression of complaining as we look at all this. Then, the rabble, foreign rabbles complaining. What is foreign rabble? Where do, where do we find foreign rabble? Did we not have the Israelites come out of Egypt? And now they're saying we have foreign rabble? And the foreign rabble, is, this is actually just a word that translates into our language maybe more clearly as riffraff. Have you ever heard that? It's kind of like a motley crew, a group of people that don't necessarily believe all the same things that, that the Israelites did. Just a, uh, they, these were people that, they weren't necessarily leaving Egypt to go worship God. They were just leaving Egypt to get out of Egypt. And the Bible actually tells us that this happened. And I didn't even realize it until I saw that and started studying it out. But it says it in Exodus. If we go back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, and it clearly says in Scripture, many other people, not just the Israelites, but many other people went up with them. And also large droves of livestock. So here's the point, and understand, when you listen to the riffraff, how many of you know there are voices of riffraff surrounding us every day? Voices of the rabble uh, every day surrounding us. If you listen to those other people complaining, it's going to get in you. So first we saw complaint due to hardship. Things happen. Things are going to happen in, in your life. That's why we did the whole series and did the t-shirt. Shalom happens, right? As we understood about how to really translate those circumstances into something to, of an expression of God's kingdom in the earth. So hardship happens. Then people around you start talking and saying things and, and doing things and complaining. If you're not careful, they infect you. But I'll just point this out because I think it is important. Not everybody leaving Egypt was going to worship God. Some people were just leaving Egypt just to run. Not everybody leaving Egypt was pursuing God. Now, now hear me, because this was a problem in the very first expression of church congregation. How many of you know it's still a problem in church today? Not everybody leaving Egypt is pursuing God. Not everybody coming to church is pursuing God. Would you agree? Some people are coming to church because they've just decided, well, I should go to church. But I just want you to understand something. Going to church is not pursuing God. Going to church is going to church. And we should gather as the church and we should 
passionately pursue God, our expression of worship and our expression of love and our expression of serve and our expression of giving, all of that should resemble the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ. But it's not going to church that does it. It's a passionate pursuit of God. It's waking up in the morning and saying, I don't have to have a slow song to worship. Worship becomes a lifestyle. I'm going to wake up today and devote myself completely, wholly, and totally to the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Somebody give him praise with me today. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise. So not everybody leaving Egypt was pursuing God. We want you to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Our goal is not to get you to attend church. Our goal is to get you to know the Lord and to make him known. And part of this is this, I'm I'm really excited pastorally, personally. Um, We've got so many people now like coast to coast and now beyond this nation that are posting pictures, turn the page, hashtag turn the page, and uh, hashtag pray attention. Those are the two hashtags that people are using. And, uh, and all we're asking is that you get an old-fashioned Bible. You keep hearing me say it. Get an old-fashioned Bible and just start in Genesis and turn the page and write the date at the top and maybe some little thing, you know, that's on your heart or mind. And I saw this one. This is so good. Uh, Carissa's actually running the the, pro, the presentation back there, so she came in to find that I had picked her, her Bible page, but she said on this, uh, she was looking in her Bible, she's reading it, May 22nd, she posted, uh, Greg and I were getting married a month, and, and this was like three years ago when she had written that in the top of her Bible, and now here she is uh, back up to that point, and if you read her post, she says, you know, our theme this year is what? Who can just shout out the phrase that we know God's given us for the year 2015? Yeah, take someone with you. Let's not go alone. Okay, let's take someone with us. And uh, Carissa has taken 12 people. She's invited 12 people and just said, hey, our pastor's challenging us to turn the page, just to basically read our Bibles. I mean, you don't even have to be into organized religion to do that, right? So people that don't even attend the church, she's invited, and uh, they're doing that with her, and they're all talking about it as they're turning the page. And, and listen, the first 10 chapters of the book of Numbers is statistical numerical data. How many of you know that's not very thrilling? The book of Leviticus talks about, uh, and I forgot to mention this in, this in this service, but it talks about all kinds of little boundaries and rules, and, and it says circumcise your child on the eighth day. How many of you know that's not exciting? But it's interesting, when we look at that, and I didn't explain this last week, so let me just interject here for this service, I did in a second, but... We know now, scientifically, medically speaking, that a baby's immune system, once the child is cut from the cord, disconnected from the mother, it doesn't just automatically have an immune system in place. It takes it a little while for its system to get on its own to be able to fight infection. Guess how many days it takes? Now we understand, medically speaking, seven days. So when God was saying, circumcise your child on the eighth day, he was the one who designed the child. He was the one who created mankind. He was the one who understood, it's in your best interest to pay attention to these rules because the boundaries I'm giving you are to protect you and to preserve you. I mean, it's an amazing reality. All through, it might be boring. You might, and I'm just telling you, I read this stuff and I'm sometimes just going, you know, I am. I mean, this is last week. I'm reading in Jeremiah right now, and it's like, Jeremiah, would you please not be such a downer? I mean, you're like Debbie Downer, you know? Uh, and I'm reading it, but, but listen, this is the thing I want you to understand. You need to understand, this is a very important principle with this particular revelation. You are not a human being having a spiritual experience. You are not a human being having a spiritual experience. 
you are a spiritual being having a human experience. What that tells me is when I'm reading my Bible and my brain's not getting it, it's nourishing my spirit, man, even when I don't understand. So stay in there. Keep turning the page. You'll get past all the begats and you'll get past all the things that aren't necessarily making sense. And every once in a while you'll get in a class or you'll hear somebody preach about it and you'll say, wow, I never understood 153 tribes uh, on the side and 153 tribes on the side and 186,000 tribes on the, on the top. These are 1,000, 153,000. And 120,000 at the base actually makes the form of a cross. When God looks at the arrangement of the tribes, I mean, it's kind of cool when you start seeing this stuff in the Bible. But whether you see that or not, you're nourishing your spirit. How many know you need spiritual nourishment to be spiritually strong? And I just say, let us be spiritually strong, mighty men and women of God. Men and women of the kingdom. God didn't just bring you out to get you out. He brought you out to take you in. He's taking you somewhere. He wants to establish you. He wants to enrich you. He wants to take you into greater places of promise and deeper places of truth. That is God's plan for every one of our lives. This is not about being religious and trying to get to church. This is about being mighty men and women of God, men and women of the Spirit, men and women who discern the ways of God, who walk out the will, plan, and purpose, and are willing to make the sacrifices necessary to get from here to where God wants us to go. In fact, uh, I want us to go where God wants us to go. I found this interesting verse of Scripture, and it really aligns well with this, Philippians 3.12. And Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on. I, I move forward. I aggress. I keep going. I fast. I pray. I get in the Word. I gather to worship. I do all the things to enrich my life spiritually. Why? So that I might take hold of all that was the reason Jesus took hold of me. How many know Jesus took hold of you? How many of you met Jesus before and he saved your soul? Aren't you glad he's your savior? Praise God. Changed your life. He didn't just get you out to take you out. He got you out to enrich your life so that he could take you in. And we need to respond to what he has in store, what he has in mind. The problem in our world is not the abundance of darkness. And there is an abundance of darkness. I talked to Ben Cooley yesterday, a guy that leads the sex trafficking ministry out of England, and, and uh, there's, let me just say there's an abundance of darkness in the world. But the problem in our world is not the abundance of darkness. The problem in our world is the absence of light. These glowing lights that are in here, there was no battle. I came in this room this morning before anybody was here, and it was completely dark. And when they flipped the lights on, there was not this big struggle. It wasn't trying to invade the room. Nope, the lights were on. When the lights are on, the darkness is gone. The problem is not the abundance of darkness. The problem is the absence of light. And I believe when the church gets established and nourished and enriched, like God wants the church to be established and nourished and enriched, then the church will begin to more than conquer and push back the gates of hell. That will never prevail against our lives. But we have to get our complaining and negativity out of the way. Can I get a witness? Just look at your neighbor and say, stop being so negative. No, don't do that. Numbers chapter 11, verse 10. Moses heard all the family standing in the doorways, in their tents, whining. And the Lord became extremely angry, and Moses was also very aggravated. So they're, they're complaining because of hardship. 
and then they're being influenced by other people, this riffraff, and now they're complaining in their houses, in their tents, so that their kids can hear them. Let me tell you, it's a really bad thing to infect your kids with your negativity. God help us not to do that. It goes on, Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron, now we're getting close to family. Here, this is Moses' family. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses. Some people live their entire lives and never get this right. They just never get it right. Just constantly filled with negativity, speaking against people. But here's an important principle, and I want to just kind of elaborate here. It's your next blank. They're important whenever I put them in the blank because I'm wanting to really emphasize it. Mature people promote order. Mature people promote order. One time, uh, I think it was Faith, she came out of the bathroom. She was very little, and when she walked into the living room, she had these crazy-looking hives down the whole side of her body. It had freaked her out when she saw them. Uh, I can only explain it as like a full-on honeycomb all the way down her leg. It looked like that. And, and, I, and I, I was startled. When she came out, I looked at it, and I just thought, oh, my goodness. We just come back from a trip. And I thought, what kind of disease did we contract? And, and, and she was already scared. And then she looked in my face, and she saw fear. And when she saw fear in my face, how many of you know she fell apart? <laughs> she was probably seven years old. And me, ah! you know, like, I'm going to die. And, and, and so I'm looking at her, and I realize, okay, I can't do that. I've got to be strong so that she'll gain something out of this, and we can calm the situation down. And I just looked her right in the face. I said, Faith, I want you to look at me right now. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask God what he has to say about this situation. And that's what we're going to say about this. And we prayed, and, and the Lord actually gave us a specific word right there, and we began to declare that word, and, and it was all was well. But if I hadn't promoted order, and she came in, and, and I just like put my hands on my head and went, Oh my God, look at your leg, that's terrible. Tracy, come look, this is ridiculously horrible. Anybody know somebody like that? Mature people promote order. Mature people promote order. Let me just give you a little advice. I'm going to get real personal here, and... Uh, you know, let the chips fall where they need to fall. Let's all grow and be a little more mature in our walk and our relationship with the Lord. I have no axe to grind. I don't know if anybody's done this. But let me just give you a little bit of advice about people who post angry rants on social media against other people. I'm going to give you a little advice. Are you ready? Stay away from them. If they're so immature that they're given to these social media rants about other people, then they have no sense of maturity or responsibility about other people's feelings. I mean, how ridiculous. There's never been a greater tool in the hand of Satan than social media today, where we can say whatever we want, cause people to cut and bleed, and just go on with taking no responsibility for our comments. I, I said something of this nature in a church service once, not knowing someone who was attending the church had come, grown offended in the beginning of the service, and left mad. And while I'm saying this, they have gone home and gone online, and they're ranting. And I'm saying, stay away from, this is Proverbs 22, 24, okay? Don't associate with people easily angered like this. That's what the Bible says for us to do. And if they're going to do that, obviously, they're just easy pray for Satan to manipulate them into his agenda. And, and come on, you're, you're, you're more than that. And so I'm, I'm saying this whole message about this, and then after service, I look online, and it's like, 
total rant against me and the church and, you know, all this crazy stuff. And I'm just thinking, boy, what a great sermon illustration that was that day. So we see this progressing along, and Numbers is full of this. This is the famous story of the 12 spies. You've heard that, that sermon, right? 12 spies go out, and they spy the land down in uh, Numbers 13, and, and 10 of them come back filled with negativity, right? But Joshua and Caleb, they had a different spirit. Two of the 12, Joshua and Caleb, they came back, and they said, we can take the land. We can go where God's called us to go. We can make the marriage work. We can get through in the finances. We can break the situation. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. We're going over. We're not going under. That's the faith declaration that we're making today. And you start telling some people that, and they're like the other ten. They say, yeah, that's true, but you just don't know. You don't understand. Numbers 1330, Caleb silenced the people. Caleb silenced the negativity. So my mom always said, not everybody's tongue belongs in your ear. You need to make sure you're not listening to just everybody who wants to talk. I mean, you know, that's true. And so sometimes you got to unsubscribe from other people's issues. Sometimes you just got to unsubscribe from other people's issues because if you're not careful, they'll start to infect you and speak negatively about things. And we don't want to be known by what we're against. We want to be known by what we're for. And we are for King Jesus transforming the world. I tell you what, uh, Jesus getting in the middle of ISIS can really change the whole world, can't it? If you think that the answer to uh, destroying ISIS is violence begetting violence, and I'm not against the military response and all those things, it's got to do what you got to do, okay? But if you think that's the answer to it, then you're mistaken. Because you get some high-level ISIS people giving their lives to Jesus, turning into Saul of Tarsus-type leaders in today's church, and you'll see the world begin to change. You'll see that God can reach Muslims, and God can reach every people group, and God can reach every belief and ideology that exists out there. Come on, let's just clap that in and declare it. We release the kingdom in the earth in Jesus' mighty name. But it's easier to complain, and it's easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. Come on, let's use our voice to pray. One guy was so negative, he went to the doctor. And the doctor confirmed it, checked his blood. Blood type was B negative. So don't be, don't be confused. Being negative is a habit. A bunch of groaners. That was funny. I like puns. Okay, being negative is a habit. That's, that's all it is. It's a habit. How I many know you can break habits, right? Some people, they get stuck in traffic, and, and it's like the end of the world. They lose their keys, and it's like just a you know, horrible day. I mean, come on. Being negative is just this habit, and you don't have to just be habitually giving yourself to negativity all the time. If you whine about things enough, it just becomes natural to overact uh, overreact and make things bigger than they really are. How many know there are enough big things in life that we don't need to make the littler things the bigger things, okay? There are enough big things in life to deal with without making everything feel and look and seem really big. Complaining, and next blank, complaining and constantly being negative is submission. Think about this. It's submission to discouragement. Complaining and constantly being negative is submission to discouragement 
as your conquering king. You were born for more than that. Don't let discouragement be the conquering king in your life. You were born for more than that. This goes on, Numbers 14.1, interestingly, it says, uh, the entire assembly complained. I mean, this is the theme of the book of Numbers. I was astonished as I started to see so clearly all this. Now everybody is complaining. It goes on, Numbers 14, verse 10. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. And this is not talking about the legalization of marijuana. This is talking, they were mad, talking about stoning them. Numbers 14, verse 27. How long will this wicked, com- how long will this wicked uh, community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. I mean, this just goes on and on on. Numbers 16, 1 and 2, Korah. That, the, Korah became insolent and rose up against Moses, and with them were 250 Israelite men. And these were primarily Levites. I want to make a point here. Because Tracy and I have been around ministry now for a long time. And we see very consistently, thank God this is not the case in this church. And, and has never been. But we see very consistently so much riffraff surrounding worship and and then you know worship leaders and the pastors and there's like this tension between the two voices the voice of the worship of the congregation and the voice of the word these should be seamlessly integrated connected together and and this was this was that's what this is showing us here. Again, this is so much in all of this to reveal. But Korah became insolent. She rose up. And these Levites, these worship leaders were there. And the tension that can exist is kind of outrageous. Things that we've... Tracy and I were in one church, and, and the pastor's wife got up and in a place of worship. They were singing that song, Oh, I Feel Like Dancing. It's Foolishness, I Know. You remember that song, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever, right? Is that the name of it? And so, uh, Oh, I Feel Like Dancing. And instead of saying, It's Foolishness, I Know, this is what she did. She looked out and she went... It's biblical, I know. I mean, she was so angry that people were not engaged. I mean, it was like using this worship as a tool, a divisive tool. And my goodness, we've got to move beyond that. One, one pastor, he got up and he preached on commitment. And the, the worship leader gets up at the conclusion and says, let's sing. We're going to sing, I shall not be moved. The next week he got up and he, he preached on tithing. And the worship leader got up and he said, today we're going to sing, Jesus paid it all. And then he got up and said, the pastor preached the next week on gossip. And he got up and said, we're going to conclude today by singing, I love to tell the story. (laughs) Finally, the pastor's just exhausted with it all. He got up and he said, look, I'm resigning. Jesus brought me here and Jesus is moving me on. That day the song was, what a friend we have in Jesus. (laughs) Here's the truth, okay? There's a crazy amount of bickering and negativity in the church and the world that we live in today. And lost people desperately need Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like there's a crazy amount of bickering and negativity over little minute. I mean, we just don't even put up with it here. And you should be glad. We just don't. We don't tolerate it. We don't cater to it. They're just bigger issues that we need to be focusing on. People who are lost desperately need Jesus. When there are things that start coming up and and issues that start trying to distract, we just immediately go and we address that and we address it on whatever level we need to so that we're not divided and divisive because we can have different opinions and and still be in unity. We can have diversity without having division if we're willing to handle this correctly. 
and we're very aggressive about this. And the reason is because it's too easy to leave things alone that fester and seed and take root and begin to produce something, a harvest of something toxic over the course of time because it's not been dealt with at the root. So may Jesus be lifted up and may lost people who are thirsting for Jesus see his love. When they look at us, they will know us by our love one for another. No wonder the enemy's trying to attack here. No wonder the Bible so clearly communicates this. Uh, people don't have a whining problem. This is your next blank. They have a worship problem. The less we worship, the more we whine. The more we worship, the less we whine. It's hard to give thanks and complain. You just can't do it. You can't do the two at the same time. And it's really about worshiping. Mary and Martha are a perfect illustration of this. I won't go into it for a second time. But, but needless to say, uh, Mary was at the feet of Jesus, and Martha was busy, busy, busy. And Jesus told her, Martha, Martha, you're uptight about so many things. Mary's chosen the better thing. When you worship, you're not whining. You and I need to learn this. I need to learn this. I was whining to our staff this morning. We got this text app, and I, I come in, and I send this text out to everybody, and I say, what's this? Who can get here right now? I got here really early, and, and, and then I'm sending, you know, what about this? And, and then I realize, you know what? I'm preaching about complaining today, and here I am, like, totally complaining. How many know, loser? <laughs> Let's be honest. This is not like something any of us have mastered and everybody else needs to get it. This is something every day we struggle with. I mean, this is clearly revealed as we're walking through the progression of Scripture. This is a huge issue for the church. Numbers 20, verse 2 and 3. And this is where we see Jesus revealed as the serpent. Really unique. Since, community, since the community was without water, the people complained. This complaining was all through this book, all 38 years in the desert. Chapter 21, verse 4 to 6, but the people spoke against God, and they spoke against Moses. Negativity. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and many Israelites died. Here's where Jesus is revealed. Numbers 21, 8 to 9, the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, Everyone who's bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, and he put it on a pole. And if a serpent had bitten anyone, and he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, this is going to be a little easier for us to understand if we heard last week's message, because it makes sense in the book of Exodus, the Passover lamb and Jesus revealed in the lamb. And in Leviticus, it was a little bit of a stretch. We had to rethink some of our doctrine and some of our not our doctrine so much, but as our religious ideas, where we've reduced gospel ideas to more of uh, affirmation concepts. Jesus is not just the lamb, but he's also the goat. And we see that the, there'll be a separation between the sheep and the goat, and the goat speaks of sin, and Jesus didn't merely die for our sin, right? That was the whole focus last week. Jesus didn't merely die for our sin, he became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.20, he, he who knew no sin became sin in order that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Quick pop quiz. How many of you are righteous? Raise your hand if you're righteous. That's a lot better than last week. Right? You are righteous. Let me just say to you, you are right. have you given your life to Jesus? You're not just righteous. You're the righteousness of God. He didn't just die for your sin. He became sin. And that's why we see him revealed as the goat. Why the serpent? Why the bronze? Did you notice it's the bronze serpent raised up on a pole in the wilderness? Bronze in the Bible speaks of judgment. The serpent, again, 
is the depiction of sin. And Jesus raised up on the cross is the serpent raised up on the pole. And it's the judgment against our sin that when we look upon Jesus, we will live. Isn't it a beautiful picture? This becomes the Asherah pole that becomes worshipped and idolized for hundreds of years. And we read this later in Scripture. We'll take a look and see. But the bottom line, the key to conquering negativity right here in the book of Numbers is to look upon Jesus. The key to conquering negativity is to worship. When you are tempted to complain, worship. You, you know, worship is like not just, oh, you, you do realize that's not just worship. Worship is like serving. Like doing the dishes for my wife can be worship if I'm doing it as a ministry to the Lord and to her. This backdrop, is this awesome? I love this backdrop. It's great. But it was like right before Easter, and they were building this backdrop, and this is like labor-intensive to do this whole thing. And, uh, and I came in, and it was the Wednesday before Easter Sunday, and it did not look awesome. <laughs> it looked like far from awesome. And I looked at it, and I was just like, okay, guys, uh, rally time. If this doesn't look better in 48 hours, we're getting rid of it because it's Easter Sunday. Okay, I don't want Easter Sunday with some hideous backdrop because it looked really bad. A bunch of pallets up here. That's what those are. And so I, I kind of fussed about it. And you got all these people in here working, sweating, bleeding. And I left because I'm the pastor. I just tell them what to do. And if I'm not happy, they're going to do something else. I mean, that's a sorry attitude, isn't it? Because let's just make it clear. I'm not the man. He's the man. And when I left this place, the man wasn't very happy with me. And I just felt him say to me, you're going to fuss and complain and leave that with them? So I went and got my hammer and got my stuff, and I showed up here and, and did a little sweating and bleeding myself. It was so funny, because I get over there and start working, and uh, I think it was Haley. She goes, quick, grab the camera. Pastor's working. They're like taking pictures, man. <laughs> it didn't make me feel very good about myself. How you know it's easier to make a point than it is to make a difference? How many of you in this room need to repent for being negative right now. Just raise your hand. Just hold them up there real high. We're being honest as a family right now, aren't we? Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place to deal with us. We do not want to play church. We do not want to play religion. We want to gather and worship and surrender more completely to you every single time as a result. You didn't bring us out just to take us out. You brought us out to establish us because you want to take us into greater places of promise and deeper places of truth. So forgive us, Lord, where negativity and complaining has held the resource of our tongue hostage. In Jesus' name. Just with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, you're here. You say, you know, I'm not giving my life to Jesus before today. I want to make that decision. If that's you, just slip up your hand. I just want to pray for you. I really need to make sure that I know that I know that I've given my life to Christ. Anybody at all? Very well, then. Let's all just agree with this prayer. Let's, let's make a declaration of breaking free together as we look to Jesus. We're his people. We want to be more like him. So everybody pray this with me, if you would, please. Just say this out loud. Lord Jesus...
You are the serpent on the pole. You're the sin on the cross. You didn't deserve it, but you took it on my behalf, and I'm free. Teach me to walk in freedom, to know you, and to make you known, to love you, and to love others, to be kind to those who are kind to me, and to be kind to those who are unkind to me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, this wonderful King, this wonderful Savior, He's worthy of our praise and our worship every day that we live, every breath that we breathe. Let's give Him praise today in a declaration. We love the Lord Jesus. We're walking forward. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. A great focus coming out of Deuteronomy or out of uh, Numbers into Deuteronomy next week. It's all about the next generation, preparing Joshua. So it'll just be great for us to see a little bit more of what our call is in that regard. And let me just say, uh, I think it's important for the church family to hear me say this from time to time. We have not got this all figured out. Uh, we're still on it. Everyone of us, we're on a journey. You know what? I've started thinking more and more, realizing more and more. Jesus said, the church, my house shall be a house of worship. No, 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 no. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of teaching. No, 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 no. You, you got it. My house shall be a house of prayer. But we really have made it a house of attractional worship and attractional teaching, and we've raised up a generation that's addicted to affirmation. And everybody wants to celebrate the sacrifice Jesus made. Nobody wants to talk about the sacrifice he expects of us. And we're trying to figure this thing out. We don't have it figured out. But we're just moving ahead, asking God for wisdom as we walk out one step at a time.